Ephesians 5, first seven verses. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you, and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But immorality and any impurity or greed must not be even be named among you, as is proper among the saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty, that no immoral, impure person, or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Father, we love you. And Father, as we look at what the walk in love is, Father, I pray that you teach. Father, you have stirred me so many times to this text, uh, and I literally the book of Ephesians. And yet, Father, I continue to grow in awe of the King. Father, I pray for your people, myself. Father, we would walk worthy, that we would walk in love, we would walk in forgiveness, and we would be imitators of God Almighty as beloved children. Help us, Lord. Help us to love as Christ loved us. In your name, amen. Okay, we are looking at the plea in verses 1 and first part of 2. This is Paul's plea. Now, if you really were keeping up, you could look at this, these verses 1 to 7, and I call it the walk in love. Okay, so walk in love. These four points you see here all define love. Okay? But you'll have to wait and see what the rest of them are. (laughs) Okay? I've shared with you in the last couple of weeks that when you have love, the depth of that love is based on your ability to forgive. Okay? And I shared with you John 3.16, the football verse. God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believed in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Okay? Do you understand God so loved the world that He was willing to forgive you? That's what that is. And you have to say, well, we, we, we will throw it up. I remember in the early 70s and when all of the hippie things were going down and we were, all, we were all getting it together. And God is love. I remember that because that's what we kept tossing around. But I kept thinking about it as I've gotten older and even come to salvation. Is that when I think about love, then I have to think about he is the standard. And then remember what we looked at? Be imitators. The word literally is the word we get mimic from. Be mimics of God as beloved children. Okay? And, and I shared with you two weeks ago, the first thing you realize about being an imitator of God is you can't be an imitator of God. Okay? That's step one. Okay? Because, see, when you realize that, what room do you have for pride? <laughs> 
Okay, I'm going to be an imitator of God. All right, <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, I can do that. Okay, but remember the prayer at the end of Ephesians 3? Pray that the Holy Spirit will strengthen you in the inner man. So Christ will be at peace in you, and you will be the fullness of God. And He will do exceedingly abundantly. Okay? So you see what that is? That, isn't that cool? So what happens is, is we begin to decrease. He begins to increase. All right? Now let's go do that. No, just kidding. When I think about this, that God is love, you know, I really, it's really amazing to me. And I think part of the reason, or part of our difficulties is that we are in a society that has a perverted view of what love is. Okay? I look at the Bible, and, you know, we're in the process in the morning. We read through a chapter or whatever, a context. Uh, when we go through the Bible, and actually this is our second time through. And we go through this, and, and we press this thing on. And as we do this, do you realize that God's love... Is that every square inch of this book, cover to cover. It's amazing. But one of the things that I've learned through experience and through Scripture, love is not in man's natural understanding. Okay? If you look at the Old Testament, and I remember this, I audited some classes up at, uh, where is that place? Denver Seminary. And, and I listened to these young men. And seminary is master's degree work. Okay, that's, you, you've been to Bible college for four years. Now you're working on your master's and you're in seminary. That's what you go to seminary for. And uh, I was sitting through some of those classes and I was amazed. Perhaps that's not the right word. Perhaps troubled was better. Because I could sit and talk to somebody. they got this big courtyard thing in between buildings. We'd go out there and talk at breaks and stuff like that. And, and I would listen to these guys. And so finally, they realized I was going to school for free. And that they, they were spending big bucks. So, so we talked. And I asked them how during the Old Covenant... Okay, that's what you would know as the Old Testament. How were you saved? How did you get saved in the Old Testament? And verbatim, everyone I asked that to said it was by keeping the law. And I'm sitting there thinking, you're doing master's degree work and you don't know how under the Old Covenant a person was saved? Uh, now, what's really scary is that these guys are headed to pulpits, to whatever. A lot of the times that I look at the Old Testament and you have interaction with other people, it almost seems like God is some kind of meanie. By the way, do you know how you get saved in the Old Testament? By faith. Okay, I just it dawned on me. Whoa, maybe I ought to step into that. Okay. Yet, 
In the New Testament, we would argue that He is love and mercy and grace. And yet, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Okay? If you go to the Ten Commandments, I don't know about you, when uh, I, years and years and years and decades ago, I got mad at God. Uh, by the way, that's really not a good idea. But anyway, I did get mad at Him. So I decided that what I would do is I would read through the Bible and I'd find the contradictions and then I'd fix this. So um, I tell people I'm still looking. It's been about 36 years. And I read my Bible every day and I keep looking because I know they're in there somewhere. I just keep missing them. But I remember the first time I ever read the Ten Commandments. And I, I, please hear me, I was not raised in the church. Okay, I just read that and thought, wow, man, what a meanie. I mean, guys, this guy's kind of grouchy. Nothing before me, no idols, none of this. And you're just, Boy, you just think you're important, don't you? Now, I know none of you has ever thought that. But that's just what went through my mind. And I kept thinking, man, gee, okay. Then I come up with a great philosophical thing that, well, if I get to heaven and I play golf, that means I'll shoot at 18 every time. What the heck fun is that? Then it dawned on me, dude, you're not playing golf in heaven. Okay? But when I look at it now with a little more insight and a little more love in my own life, I understand that the Ten Commandments are basically ten aspects of love. You know, I, I remember Remember, some of you remember when we went through Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. Okay. You know, what's amazing about that, that, that verse, those texts, is that all of that dis- defining of love is contradictory to man's understanding of love. Okay. We think love is icky sentimentalism. Well, that's how I describe it. But basically what it is, is that I love me, and I really like what you can do for me. Okay? Because I'll love you for what I can get. That's what the love that exists on in your neighborhood, in your city, your country, right now. This planet. But Exodus 20, you can basically... Cut it into two pieces. The, the first four commandments are to God. And it is love towards God. The last six commandments is love toward men. So if you look at that, verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. Okay? So the first thing I understand about love in the Ten Commandments, first thing, love is loyal. Love is loyal. After that, verse 4 and 5. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of whatever is in heaven or above or on earth beneath or in the water under it. You shall not worship them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children on the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me. Okay? Second thing. Love is faithful. You will not have any graven images. 
Drop down there to verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. All right? Thirdly, love is reverent. He even says you will take the Sabbath and you will what? Keep it holy. See, the Sabbath, regardless of what people think, and what you hear, or you what you may witness if you've ever been around a Jewish community, it literally is to set aside that time to be intimate with God. So, you know, because people say, well, why do you guys meet on Sunday if you're supposed to keep the Sabbath? Well, it's easy. Jesus Christ is the Lord of the what? Sabbath. You know what the Sabbath word means? Rest. Okay? He is the Lord of rest. When I am resting, I am intimate with God. So when should I be doing that? <laughs> with every breath. <laughs> so when I breathe, it's a Sabbath. Okay? I am resting in Him. You know, I'm watching some of the responses of this pandemic and there's a whole bunch of people who ain't resting. But love is reverent. So love is loyal. Love is faithful. Love is reverent. Okay. And you love the Lord your God. And you keep the Sabbath. Why? <laughs> love is intimate. Love is intimate. Okay. Now, immediately, people, you say the word intimate, they think it's sexual. No, it's intimate. That's what I tell people that I have ministered to who are preparing for marriage. The most intimate thing that you can do with your spouse is pray. Because you're going to the throne room of God, the two as one, and you ain't hiding nothing. I mean, you know, you can be a braggadocious, I am the man of the house. Walk into the throne room of God and see how you come out. Okay? Because that's humbling. So when you think about a husband and a wife going to the throne room of God, guess what? That's intimate. So I know that love is loyal. I know it is faithful. I know it is reverent. And I know that it is intimate. Okay, now that's the four to God. All right? Now towards men. Verse 12. Honor your father and your mother. Right? Do you know what that means? Love toward my fellow man is respectful. The word there, we read the word honor. Okay? You know what it means in the Hebrew? It says the best of them. That is how you honor them. You speak well of them. And in contextually, it says, speak well of your parents. Verse 13. You shall not murder. <laughs> and that's one of those you go, duh. <laughs> okay. How is love in that one? Love is harmless. Love is harmless. Verse 14. You shall not commit Adultery shall not commit adultery. You know what that means? Love is pure. 
So it's respectful, it's harmless, it's pure. You shall not steal. Okay, you know what that is? Love is unselfish. Love gives. Okay, remember when we went through 1 Corinthians 13? It's all the verbs. It's self-sacrificing. All right? Then drop on down. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You know what it means? Love is a truthful. Verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. Love is content. Content. Okay. Are you happy with what you have? That's contentment. I'm happy with what I have. Okay, these are all pointed toward men. So if I'm going to be like God, an imitator of God, then God loves. Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. You have fulfilled the whole law. Okay. So if I'm an imitator, then I love like God loves. How many God forgives people who offends them? Have you ever thought about that? How many people have offended God? All of them. Not only all of them, guess what? Always. Always. Okay? So if I'm an imitator and I'm going to love as God loves, that means that when I'm offended, guess what? I don't keep record of it. And I love them anyway. Okay, back to our text. Because, see, that is just a review of the plea. Okay? Now we look at the second half of verse 2. The pattern. Okay, we've seen in the walk of love, the plea to it. Now we're looking at the pattern. And this is the one that is totally awesome. We're going to walk in love. Remember I shared that? That's what we started this with. We're going to walk in love. The pattern. Just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us. An offering, a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. <laughs> as Christ has loved us as a sacrifice. Love like God's love. How does God love? First, foremost, He forgives our sin. All right? Now listen, I want you to understand something. When I look at the Old Testament and the New Testament, it always speaks of, I have forgiven God. You talk about God's redemptive work. It says... I've forgiven sin. Do you understand that it's always singular? See, when we, me and you think about it, it's sins. You sh- should see my list. In God's eyes, it's one. Okay? You have rejected Him. 
That is the sin. Remember uh, David weeping over his sin? And he says in Psalm 51, Against you and you alone I have sinned. Okay, now I wonder if Bathsheba and Uriah would have thought that. Just an idea. All right, but he understood his sin was what? It was against God. So regardless of what your sin is, it's against God. Okay, so his love is so great that while you were yet sinners, God forgave you. He forgives sin, no matter how bad the sin, no matter how continuous the sin. It is forgiven. So the example of the pattern that we are to look at as Christ has loved us. If you lack biblical... Okay, if... Do you understand biblical love is not an emotion? Emotions can come out of love, but it is not the foundation for that love. Okay? The Bible always defines love as an act of self-sacrificing and giving. True biblical love. I okay, true biblical love. I will love you even if I never get anything out of it. Okay? Look around. Are you loving that way? Or are you expecting something in return? You know, I said hi to him and they didn't say nothing. Well, I'm deaf as a post sometimes, so I may not. And I'm blind to boot. One of the saddest things in our world right now is how it defines love. And I just shared that with you. It's what, what do I get out of this? That is what love in natural man is. God's love, I love you if I get nothing out of it. Now remember, I'm giving you the pattern here. What is the pattern? As Christ has loved you. Listen, if you're loving that way, do you think it'll make a difference in your life? You think it'll make a difference in your family? Your marriage? You know, we always got those black sheep in the family. I mean, I remember I have Uncle Carl. He's probably not with us anymore. But he'd disappear at times. He'd be gone. You just, you'd never hear boo from him. And then all of a sudden he'd show up. Okay, and he, he'd want to show you where he'd been stabbed. Look, I got, I got a stab back here. Look, I got a shot right there. And, he, and it, you're sitting there going... Yo, Holmes, what's up with you? Are you doing it wrong? You know, know, they knocked out my tooth right here. And I keep thinking, if you're taking this many whoopings, maybe you want to take up something else. But he was considered the the black sheep of the family. And uh, he was a a character. I wouldn't have wanted to hang out with him at long durations, but he was kind of comical to speak to for about two or three days. And then hopefully he would go on. 
that you can even love them. I've heard this statement before as a pastor. I don't love them anymore. You know what you just said? I'm a sinner. Can you love somebody not for what you get out of it? Not natural man. Okay? Because I have my limits. Okay? The Lord God said, find one and cleave to it. Give yourself to one if you get nothing. Huh. Then you will know what it is to know the love of Christ, which is beyond knowledge. Now think about it for a second. Love as Christ. It doesn't take a theologian to say, you know what? He did not love us for what he got out of it. Right? I shared with you when we first started this book that you were saved before the foundations of the world, before creation. You were saved. He loved us before he created. That's cool, isn't it? He loved us before creation in spite of the pain that it was going to take to love us. He loved us. Adam and Eve didn't sin. He goes, just can't leave you alone. That ain't the way it worked. No, he knew they were going to sin before they were created. And the reason he did is that I will show my glory and my power by taking something that vile and making it holy and righteous. Now, I don't know about you. That's some serious power. The love that Jesus gave us was humble. It was self-giving. And it was self-sacrificing. In spite of us. So we should love for not what we would get. Listen. As a Christian, you love this way because it is your nature. What? Yeah, it is your nature. Remember what I shared with you last week? Peter said, you are partakers of the the divine nature. I mean, for me to love this way, I know it's divine intervention. Right? Well, if I'm a partaker of divine nature, it's divine intervention. Listen, if you don't love somebody, do you understand that it is not their problem? Ooh. Ooh. If you don't love somebody, it is not their problem. Hmm. Hmm. Because if you don't love somebody, it is because there's nothing in it for you. 
And that is what unredeemed man does. Listen, biblical love is not conditional. Oh, you don't understand how bad they hurt me. Did they nail you to a cross? Did they spit on you? You ever been spit on? Biblical love is not conditional. Uh, I spoke of this this morning in Sunday school. John 13. Jesus stoops down and begins washing his disciples' feet. And yet you could take those boys and line them up and you could not get that much indifference anywhere in the planet. He was preparing to go to the cross and they were arguing about who will be the greatest in the kingdom. They were arguing about who was going to get the most glory in the kingdom of God while the king was washing their feet. Jesus loved those guys even when they were that ugly. How can you be the one who spoke creation into being and have people debating who will be the greatest in heaven? And yet you're trying to show them a servant by washing their feet. He was on the cross. They were spitting on him and mocking him. Uh, some of your translations will say they were wagging their heads. That literally means to throw insults. Okay? What did he say? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. See, that is a love that is not expecting anything in return. That is a love. You mean you could look at it and say that the people don't deserve. But that is the love of God that covers a multitude of sin by His love and forgiveness. That's the love that is not what it can get out of it. If I love you this much, will you love me this much? They didn't love him that day on that cross. See, God's love for each of us is seen in the action of his son. That's how much I love you. That action on that cross is seriously unconditional. An interesting verse. Philippians chapter 4. Verse 18. It's, it's a fascinating, it's in a context. Paul is thanking the Philippians for a gift. But I received everything in full, verse 18, and have an abundance, and I am amply supplied. Okay, do you understand where Paul is when he wrote this? It's the same time he wrote Ephesians. They call them the prison epistles. You know why? He's chained to a Roman soldier 24 hours a day. Okay? 
So he's talking to the Philippians. He says, I've received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received Epaphroditus, what you have sent, what you have sent, what you have done for me, the things that you have done. The action of your love is what? A fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. You know, when we send, we sent some money to get help Pastor Paul get a generator. I've had love offerings given to me because of financial difficulties. I've had people do different things for me. I had people buy me tires. I mean, you know, just things like that. And I don't have the words to say thank you. I mean, I can say thanks. Thanks. Okay. But when I see that happen, I always go back to this verse is that that person's sacrificial giving is an aroma rising to God who is well pleased at it. I mean, so really, what is my thank you? Seems kind of useless, doesn't it? Terry thanks me God was well pleased. Yeah, it kind of loses something, doesn't it? God was well pleased. Let me roll through some stuff here real quick. We read through, remember the Old Testament Leviticus? Everybody loves Leviticus, don't we? Okay. If you look at the first five chapters of Leviticus, you'll find out there's five offerings, one per chapter. Okay? First three. First three chapters. There's the burnt offering, chapter one. The meal offering in chapter two. And the peace offering in chapter 3. Now there's two more in 4 and 5. Okay. The burnt offering is a picture. Remember the Old Testament is a picture of Christ. The burnt offering is a picture of Christ's total devotion to God. That's the burnt offering. Okay. The meal offering. Okay. Speaks of Christ's perfection to God. The the perfect character in the meal offering. The peace offering, of course, that's an easy one, isn't it? That's Christ making peace between God and man. All right? And if you read it, and I'm not going to go back through it, in light of what we looked at, the sweet aroma, Epaphroditus and the offering to take care of Paul in a Roman jail. If you read those three offerings, they are sweet-smelling. Fragrance to God. Why? They're showing His Son. They're showing His devotion. They're showing His perfection. And they're showing His peacemaking. Okay? God is well pleased with the devotion of Christ. God is well pleased with the perfection of Christ's character. God is well pleased that He made peace between God and man. Okay? Sweet aroma. Leviticus 4 and 5 have two offerings too. Chapter 4 is the sin offering. Chapter 5 is the trespass offering. Guess what? Those are not sweet smelling. Even though these are pictures of Christ, 
they all show Christ. Four and five of Leviticus is Christ doing what? Bearing sin. Do you understand what that is? How sweet that was to God? Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is not a sweet aroma to God. To have to turn his back on his only begotten son because he was covered in sin. Okay? God had to. In his holiness and righteousness, he can't look at it. So he turned on his back. That is the one time that God the Father, God the Son were separated. Right? That is while Christ was the sin bearer, there is no sweet smell. But yet, when I look at Philippians, what Epaphroditus did, and what the saints did by meeting Paul's needs, though he's imprisoned, that was a sweet aroma. Listen, when God saw the perfection of Christ's character, his peacemaking and his absolute devotion even to death, that rose a sweet smell unto the Father. A sweet incense, that sweet aroma smell to the Father. You know what? His devotion... Peacemaking, perfection of his character, pleases God. Okay, now back to our text in Ephesians. Be imitators of who? Follow the pattern of who? All right. Now then, I've got your complete attention in this. I've got one question to ask you. Do you want to be a sweet, fragrant smell to God? Okay, I can tell you how to do it. It's easy. Be a life of love that never ceases to forgive because that is Christ. He is a life of love. Do you understand that even when he comes back in judgment, that that is loving? When he comes back and judges, he's going to kill everybody. Yep. But you know why? Sin will be dealt with once and for all. How great a love is that? See, we get our perspective. We always have to look at it from man to God. You want to change things? Look at it from God to man. But it does make people mad when you share it that way. You want a life of love that never ceases to forgive? There will never be any anger. There will be no grudges. There will be no bitterness. And it will all be gone. Remember what I told you what this is? This is the section of this letter that tells us what our lives should look like. And it's based on God's standard. 
I want to close with this thought. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant to you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all of the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And you be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond what we could ask or think. According to the power that works in him. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. To all generations forever and ever. Amen. So do you understand why the Apostle Paul gave us that prayer? Before we jumped into 5 and 6, 4, 5, and 6, because he knew we have to pray for these people. I've been praying for this church all along because I knew that once I stopped, stepped into this book, there would be a scouring. And I, you know, you said, well, then why did you do it? Because <laughs> I smiled. <laughs> okay? Because I want the church to be the fullness of Christ even if it takes scouring. Okay? Preach the word. Fulfill your ministry. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for the redemption of our sins in the person of Jesus Christ forever and ever and ever. Amen. Lord, help us. Perilous times, Lord. And there's a virus out there right now that has no vaccine. And the only cure is the blood of the cross. Sin. Father, help us be victorious with sin in our own lives. But Father, help us to share the truth in love, overwhelmed with the privilege of being called the saints of the Most High God. Oh, Jesus, we love you. Father, we thank you. In Christ's name. Amen.